Sharing the word. I ask you to turn in your Bible to uh, the book of Hebrews, chapter 11. <clears throat> We're not going to spend uh, much time here in Hebrews, but I did want to read um, a little bit to you from the faith chapter before we uh, go back to Genesis. So, Let's just read a couple verses in Hebrews chapter 11, and uh, we're we're looking at the. Well, thank you, brother. That's great. We're looking at the uh, subject of God's special man Abraham. You know, as you read through Hebrews 11, you notice that uh, there's more space devoted to Abraham than really any, anyone else in this faith chapter. So that should cause us to really um, pay attention. So we read in uh, Hebrews 11 and verse 8, By faith Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which God should after, which he should afterward receive for an inheritance, obeyed. And he went out not knowing where he went. And then look down to verse 17. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he that had received the promises offered up his only begotten son. Now there's some material in between those verses we read, uh, but really if you glance down through the Abraham section, you really only see three Statements by faith, verse 8, verse 9, and verse 17. By faith, Abraham did this. By faith, Abraham. By faith, Abraham. And um, I suppose you, like I, have probably heard all we want to hear about COVID and all the rest of it. So I'm not preaching on that this morning. But I think it does raise a question worth uh, our consideration and that is when hard time come, hard times come, and we can be sure that there are probably more ahead. Um, how can we weather them successfully and not cave in? How can we be a good testimony for the Lord? Uh, it's not that we enjoy these things, but we are Christians. And uh, there ought to be a difference in our conduct our testimony and our victory in hard times. And that won't happen by luck. Um, you have to look in the Word of God and see what, what are the keys, what, is, what helps us to do that. So um, I'd like to speak to you about that for a few minutes this morning. And if you want to turn back to your book of Genesis, chapter 12, We'll read those two passages that are referred to in Hebrews. Genesis chapter 12 and verse 1. This is really the very first thing we read about Abraham. Uh, Genesis 12 and verse 1. Now the Lord had said unto Abraham, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred 
and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee. If you keep your place there, please, and go over to chapter 22. We're now at the uh, very near the end of Abraham's earthly life. And uh, we read this in Genesis 22, um, verse 1. Came to pass after these things that God did test Abraham and said unto him, Abraham, and he said, Behold, here I am. And he said, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of. Let's just look up to the Lord for a moment. <clears throat> We thank the Heavenly Father for the uh, reminder in thy holy word that these things all were written for our learning. We pray that we would be uh, good learners this morning and, and uh, listen carefully to what the Spirit of God would say to each one of us. And um, help me, Lord, I ask to make these thoughts uh, stand out as plainly as I can that we may be equipped to stand for the Lord in difficult times. So bless and help us now as we commit this time to the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. Um, if you noticed in the readings, uh, in Genesis 12 and verse 1, the Lord didn't give Abraham a great deal of information. He said, get up and leave your homeland, your family, and go. And um, I'll show you, there's a land that I'll tell you of, but he didn't tell him then. He just said, go and uh, to a land that I will tell you of. In Genesis 22, he said, take your son and go uh, to the land of Moriah and go up onto a mountain that I will show you of. He didn't tell him then, he just said, just take your son and go. And uh, I'll tell you um, where you're going later. It's a good thing for us to remember that Abraham lived before Moses. And Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible. So uh, apparently we could say that Abraham had no Bible. Right? I mean, there was nothing written before God called Abraham. And he went through his life, a life of faith, and he didn't have a Bible like we have. Um, <clears throat> I just say that so that you will not say, well, Abraham had it easy because God spoke directly to him. Um, he didn't have a Bible. The Lord had to speak to him that way. <clears throat> so... Here's the question that I want to consider with you then. <clears throat> Abraham is considered a great man of faith. Um, and if you know anything about him, you might say, well, God spoke directly to him. That's a, a blessing. And we also read he was a very rich man. Um, that's a blessing. And so neither of those things apply to me, maybe. <laughs> And so 
my chance of being a man of faith like Abraham in a time of trial um, are less. Kind of letting myself off the hook there. We do know that in Hebrews 11 that it says, without faith it's impossible to please God. Uh, we do know that later on in Genesis, the Lord made statements to Abraham and he believed God and God counted his faith to him for righteousness. Just like us, we believe God and uh, we become righteous. And so we know those things, but um, is it really a valid comparison to say Abraham faced trial and we face trial. Abraham became a man of faith. Um, we can become a man or woman of faith for God during trials too. Well, what I'd like to do is I'd like to spend a few minutes and if you would just kind of <clears throat> turn your pages, start in Genesis chapter 12. <clears throat> And um, I made a little list here. For those who may be note-takers, I'll tell you there are ten items on my list so that uh, you can follow along. But I want to make some observations. We're not going to do in-depth study. We're just kind of breeze along and make some observations about the period between when God called Abraham to leave his family, his homeland, and the time when he came uh, very near the end of his life and had to really uh, offer his son up. And so let's, let's then just kind of move along here and make some observations before uh, we draw conclusions in a, a little later. Chapter 12 and verse 4, we read that Abraham departed as the Lord spoken unto him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed out of Haran. Now, I know that uh, they lived a little longer back then, but still, <clears throat> 75 years. Uh, Abraham was not a kid. He was not a young person. He was 75, <clears throat> and he's got this journey to go, a long journey, many hundreds of miles on foot, to a place he doesn't know, and he's got a dependent, Lot, his brother's son. His brother had died, so he had this this boy, young man to take along, and um, <clears throat> a little added burden there. Watch somebody else's kid on a long journey to a place you don't know. Look down to verse 10, <clears throat> chapter 12 and verse 10. And there was a famine in the land. So they come to the place where God directs them to go. And here's really the first thing we find about it. There was a famine in the land. And Abraham went down into Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was grievous in the land. Um, I thought the place that God was bringing him too was a place described as a land that flows with milk and honey, I thought. He gets there, says, Lord, what kind of a place is this? 
there's a severe famine. There's nothing to eat. So, not my first choice, but we have to go down to, to Egypt, get some food. Well, that's difficult. So he and his family and Lot, down to Egypt they go. Still in chapter 12, and look down to verse 15. <clears throat> Abram gets to Egypt. Verse 15, the princes also of Pharaoh saw her, that is Sarah, his wife, um, and commended her before Pharaoh. And the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. So here's Abraham now, and he's down in a strange land so he could eat. He's got Lot with him, a dependent. There's no food back in the promised land. He gets there, and his wife is a beautiful girl. And so Pharaoh says, bring her up to my palace. Leave him. Just bring her. And Abraham is now lost his wife. Um, there's another incident later on where another king um, does the same. We won't look that up, but we read there that the motive that Abraham said, um, tell them you're my sister because otherwise they'll kill me to get you. Right? You read that? So apparently, this whole time was a time of fear for Abraham, kind of living in fear that any day they're going to say, look, if we kill him, we'll get her. So <clears throat> that was difficult. Let's go over to chapter 13. Chapter 13, and uh, down verse 5 and following, Abraham has uh, got a lot of cattle and a lot of substance, and Lot apparently has prospered, and he's got a lot of cattle and a lot of herdsmen, and they're getting into quarrels with each other. And so Abram says, look, the land is is before us. There's a lot of land here, and you've got a lot of cattle, and I've got a lot of cattle, and we each have herdsmen to take care of them. So why don't we separate from each other, and you could take whatever part you want, and I'll take the other part. And so they're standing where uh, they are, which is kind of a rugged, hilly area, and uh, Lot looks down across the rolling plain, which is all grassland, and he says, Wow, that's beautiful. If you want to read the description in verse 10, Lot lifted up his eyes and beheld all the plain of Jordan that was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah as the garden of the Lord. What was the garden of the Lord? Eden, right? Garden of Eden? So Lot looks around and says that down there is beautiful. My cattle could really enjoy that, be easy, because there's no hills to climb and walk up and down. So he says, verse 11, Lot chose him all the plain of Jordan. 
In other words, <clears throat> you can stay up here in this rugged area, Unc. I'll take the nice grassland like the Garden of Eden down there. Now, you might think that Lot would have said, well, Uncle Abraham is older, an older man, and I should honor him and give him first choice. Or I should stay up here and take the more rugged area and, and let him have that. But Lot says, I want all that. You could have this. So uh, that wasn't easy. Maybe we need to just pause here and, and summarize. Abraham has to leave his home. He's got a dependent to go with him. He gets to the promised land and there's a famine, nothing to eat. He goes down to a neighboring country and uh, the king takes his wife home. He's got to uh, divide off from his nephew and the nephew takes all the nice land and leaves him the rest. We're only on number four. Let's keep going. Um, chapter 14. <clears throat> There's a war in the area. And uh, kings come and fight, and they take Sodom and uh, and all the people in that area. And uh, verse 13 says, uh, chapter 13, And there came one that had escaped and told Abraham the, the Hebrew. He dwelt by the oaks of Mamre, the Amorite, Brother of Eshkol and brother of Aner, and these were confederate with Abraham. And when Abraham heard that his brother was taken captive, he armed his trained servants, born in his own house, 318, and pursued them. So, um, basically, somebody who escapes in the war comes and says, Abraham, um, there's been a war, Sodom was captured, everybody and everything was taken captive, and that includes Lot. They took him. So Abraham says, well, we got to get our little army together. You get the picture that uh, this is quite a, a growing operation, right? 318 men Abraham had, <clears throat> like his little army. And so now he has to go and rescue Lot. There's a cost to this. These guys have got to eat, be paid. And there's danger. If you read the list of all the kings they're going off to fight with, to rescue Lot, there's a cost and there's danger. Well, let's go on to chapter 15. <clears throat> Genesis chapter 15. And... Uh, God is making a covenant with Abraham here. If you've read this section, you understand what happens. The Lord tells him to um, take some animals and divide them and uh, lay them on the ground, and uh, they would make a covenant. By the way, if you're not familiar with how they did things back then, um, they actually used the term cutting a covenant. Uh, they understood that a covenant was the most solemn thing you could do, and therefore um, blood had to be shed. So they took these animals, they literally cut them in half, and they laid them on the ground. 
And the two people who were entering into a covenant walked between the pieces. That was the way they did things for solemn covenants. That all happened here with one difference. If you read the text, what happened, um, only one person went between the pieces. was the Lord. Abraham never did. Because this was a, what we call, unilateral covenant. It was God saying, you don't have any part to do. I'm just telling you what I'm going to do. Um, and so God, the Lord, passed through them. But while that was happening, <coughs> excuse me, while that was happening, and that was all just by way of aside, um, the Lord was saying some things to Abraham. And one of them, I want you to notice in verse 13, the Lord said to Abraham, Know of a surety that thy seed shall be a sojourner in a land that is not theirs, and shall serve them, and they shall afflict them 400 years. Um, do you understand that? God is making a covenant for a great future with Abraham. He says, but you do need to know that your descendants are going to be in a land that's not theirs. It's not the promised land. We know He's talking about Egypt, right? We know that. They're going to be there 400 years. Well, how many children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren, and so on, would there be in 400 years? And you notice what he says about them. They will serve in this country, and this country will afflict them. must have been hard for Abraham to hear. Um, we're going to have 400 years of bondage as slaves in a country that mistreats us? Wow. All right, let's go over to chapter 16. Chapter 16 and verse 1. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, bore him no children. Wow. Wow. So, Abram now has been living with this great hurt that he's got a growing home, lots of cattle, lots of servants, and yet his wife can't have a child. That's hard. That's especially hard if you've been led to believe that through you, is going to be the blessings of the whole world. <laughs> and your wife can't have a child. <clears throat> Chapter 16, down in verse 4. And he went into Hagar and conceived, she conceived... When she saw that she had conceived, her mistress was despised in her eyes. What's this about? Well, back then they said, apparently I can't have children, and God has said that we're going to have a big family, so um, why don't you take my maid, who waits on me, and uh, we'll have a child through the maid, and she'll be 
or he'll be our son, and the line will go that way. And I imagine Abram is really torn here. He's thinking, on one hand, God has promised him a son, and yet his wife is saying, look, obviously, I'm old, you're old, obviously, this isn't working, years are passing, there's no baby, you need to do this to keep peace in our home. So Abraham goes into Hagar. Hagar conceives a child. And now Hagar despises Sarah. And if you read on further, you read that the kids, as they grow, because Abraham finally does have a son, right? The kids are getting into squabbles with each other. This is hard for Abraham. This is difficult for him. Trying to keep the peace, trying to keep a family feud from happening, and then he has to get rid of the maid and send her away with his son, who he loved. This is all very difficult for him. Uh, Let's go into chapter 17. Genesis 17. And verse 10, the Lord comes to Abraham and says, This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and thy seed after you. Every male children, every male child among you shall be circumcised. Every male child shall be circumcised. And so, not only the children, but also the adults, all had to be circumcised at that time because of the covenant of God. Um, I imagine with no anesthesia and no fancy surgical instruments, that could be painful um, for hundreds of people. Chapter 21. Chapter 21, we read finally of the birth of Isaac. And how old are his parents when he's finally born? Right up near 100, right? And How long was the delay between the promise and the baby? 14 years. That was hard. Well, I'm at number 10, so let's quit there. But let me just take a moment and review before I come to our conclusion here. Um, Abraham is called a man of faith. He's got to leave his home and family and take a dependent with him. He comes to the promised land, and it's a place of famine, so he's got to go to another country. He gets there, and they take his wife, and he lives in fear for his own life. Lot picks the best land and takes that. Then he gets carried away captive, so Abraham's got to go rescue him. He's promised by God that his offspring is going to be slaves in another country and be afflicted for 400 years. 
His wife can't have a baby. She's barren. He takes a servant girl, and a little boy is born to keep peace with his wife and do it her way. And God says, no, that's not how it's going to be. Then God comes and says, every male has got to be circumcised. And then 14 years, and baby Isaac is born. Um, you know, it's easy for us to read through our Bible, like in Hebrews 11, and say, by faith, Abraham left his family. A few verses. By faith, Abraham offered up Isaac. Sounds like it happened the next week, right? But we just went through all the hardships that this man suffered in his life. I mean, I hope you followed along. I hope you're following with me. All the hardships that Abraham faced. And yet we read he was a man of faith. So what was his secret? Was he just better than you and me? Um, how do you feel about that? Do you feel like not me? <laughs> I wouldn't want to face all that stuff and be asked to be a man or woman of faith. Makes what we've gone through in the COVID thing look pretty small, doesn't it? I mean, a year, a year and a half of inconvenience when you compare what Abraham went through. So I ask again then, um, is it possible to face hardship and really be a man or woman of God? And of course, the answer is yes. And uh, I, I would suggest that one of the secrets of how that took place is given to us in the Word. And so let's go back to Hebrews 11. And I mentioned to you that there were three by-faiths. Remember that? Good. Hebrews 11, and we read verse 8, and we read verse 17, but we didn't read the other by-faith. And let's read it now. Hebrews 11 and verse 9. By faith he sojourned in the land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked for a city which hath foundation, whose builder and maker is God. I want you to just take a moment here at the conclusion and think about those two verses. We read that Abraham sojourned or dwelled or lived by faith where God sent him, and it says dwelling in tents. Now, remember, Abraham was a very wealthy man. Incredible amount of cattle, gold, servants. Could he have built a house? And the answer is yes. And it won't do to say, um, well, back then they lived in tents. They lived in tents when they were nomads traveling, but they didn't live in tents so much when they settled down. 
But there's something else here. We read that in verse 9, he dwelt in tents. Verse 10, for he looked for a city which hath foundations. If you know anything about tents, you know they're put on the ground and they don't have foundations, right? And Abraham lived in a place that had no foundation down in the earth because he was constantly looking for a city. And it's so interesting to me in verse 10 that he doesn't say he looked for a city whose builder and maker is God. He adds that little word. Do you see it there? He looked for a city which hath foundations. And I think that's one of the big keys to Abraham's faith and survival. He refused to do or be anything that communicated, this is it, I've arrived. I'm wealthy. I deserve to have the best. I'm having a place with foundations. Storms can come. We're not going anywhere. This is the land God sent us to. I'm putting my roots down here. No, no. It's symbolic. I'm not going to do that. Why? Because every day I live, I'm looking off to a place that God's building that has foundations. Um, Okay, so let's ask our question again. How about us? Now, I'm not saying you should go home and sell your house and live on a tent. I'm not saying that. But I am saying that there is a mentality of fulfillment in my life. I have a job. I have savings. I have whatever, whatever, whatever. And, you know, with all the electronics that the devil has flooded with us, this is the message we're getting from the world. You know, I saw an ad yesterday. Um Take care of yourself. Serve yourself. Go for pleasure. And uh, that's becoming another pandemic in the church among believers. We read in the last days, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. And so if we're going to be able to really stand when trouble comes, we need to know the secret of what kept Abraham going all through his life, and very simply stated it was that he lived in the world, but he refused to put down the kind of roots that said, this is it. This is where my money, this is where my heart is, this is where my precious things are. Yeah, yeah, when I get to heaven, I'll die and go to heaven. That's something else. That's religion. No. He lived every day thinking, I'm looking toward and I'm living for what God's building. What I have here is just a place where I I serve God until I get there. That's the real life. If you live that way and hard times come in your life, individually or nationally or globally, I think you'll be able to be a person of faith and do just fine. And that's exciting. Imagine the thought of, I can be a testimony for God during the hard, hard times. Why? Because I'm starting right now today and looking at everything the world is and has to offer through different eyes.
than the world looks. So that's really uh, all I want to say this morning. And uh, God bless you as the Spirit of God will um, maybe impress on you those thoughts. And let's just look to the Lord. We thank the Heavenly Father for uh, the Word of God that in a cursory reading seems to be just such a simple historical narrative. This is what happened. And yet as we ponder it and uh, look at the little details that are included, we recognize that there's spiritual principles given to us as a gift by our God that we might be men and women of faith. Not men and women with religion or who are religious, but men and women who truly believe God and live a life that is very different from the life that the world wants us to live. Help us, we pray, uh, not to lose sight of what's really important in this life, and help us to encourage one another as we seek to do that. We give thanks in our Savior's name. Amen.